Denver United, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Clunky Conversations on Race and Unity. George, I've noticed over the last month or two since racial injustice has been back at the forefront of American consciousness again, and is staying there, and, and I think we're grateful for that. Uh, one phenomenon that, that's troubling to me, and I wanted to talk about that today, and that is that there is a, a slice of the populace. There have been a few whom I have encountered, um, representative of that slice, for whom this conversation is absolutely a non-starter. Uh, it seems that they are absolutely categorically unwilling to engage. And it's caused me to ask the question, why? Now, I don't doubt that many have thought about it who are unwilling to enter the conversation. And maybe they think they're right and maybe they are right. I don't know. I'm not trying to judge them. Uh, I'm just, I'm surprised at the absolute staunch unwillingness to even discuss, to even entertain that there may be something more than what they see, understand, or believe that somebody else is experiencing or that somebody else understands or believes, and let alone that, there may, that they may be wrong. Uh, and so when somebody is that sure, it intrinsically makes me wonder how, how are you so sure? I'm not that sure about really much of anything. <laughs> and the people that are the absolute surest are the ones I find myself at times being the most unsure of. <laughs> and so we've talked about this a little bit uh, in previous episodes, reasons why that might be. As we were discussing uh, off air, you shared one that I thought was really insightful. Yeah, and I think this has been a conversation I've had the last couple of weeks with some friends. And, um, and again, I just want to like lead with uh, how encouraged I've been by how many people are willing to engage. And I was sharing this with a friend this last week that it's just really, really cool and encouraging. But at the same time, it can be equally discouraging because for every you know 15 or 20 conversations you have with people that are just like, hey, I'm in, I'm ready. This is uncomfortable, but I'm willing to engage and step in and begin and learn and listen humbly. Like for every 15 or 20 of those, there's one who is just like, talk to the hand. I can't do it. So it's almost like, <laughs> you know, you can be encouraged by the many, but the one who's not willing to do it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb and you get, it sort of can, can suck your attention away from all the people that are willing to do it. So, um, but yeah, there's so many reasons why I think we don't. Some of those we've talked about of just like, you know, the personal component of it. We're like, well, hey, I am not personally at fault. So, you know, I didn't do it. I didn't own slaves. That whole like conversation that we've talked about before. We've talked about others. But I think one of the things that can um, keep people on the sidelines of this conversation is the false idea that this is all ancient history. It can, it can feel like, hey, well, I know all this happened, but come on, Can't man. we get it's over it? It's 2020. Can't we just, and then they go on to say something, you know, like, can we just move on? Can't we get past it? 
why are we still doing this? I mean, God, gosh, I know people have been protesting for how, shoot, well, it's been like six days, but come on. You know, can't we, can't we get past all of this? And it, and rooted in that response is sort of, I think, this maybe belief, which I'd want to challenge and maybe call it a false belief, that all of this happened a long, long time ago. Right. A long this time ago, yeah. History. <laughs> and the, baked into the question, can we get over this, is we have gotten over this. We passed civil rights legislation. We've elected a black president. We are past this. Why do you all c- continue to insist on going back and relitigating it? Yeah, so it's sort of <laughs> the way I was talking uh, uh, with someone about it was just, you know, when you turn on the History Channel and they're talking about, you know, uh, one of the shows, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say I watched this, but it's been a while, but I enjoy is the Ancient Aliens show on the History Channel. That does slightly concern me. Yeah, I don't like it. It's just funny. All the theories are insane, but it's just entertaining. But like they'll bring up, you know, these ancient societies and the Mm -hmm. Egyptians and they'll go back in caves and look at the etchings that Mm -hmm. they're like, hey, well, look, that sort of looks like a UFO or whatever. All All the weird stuff. Ancient Aliens, real quick sidetrack. Like literally bookmark where you are, because when you said that, it just brought to the forefront of my consciousness, something that I've been thinking about. Take (laughs) ancient aliens. I was going to say finding Bigfoot, but ancient aliens is like incrementally ever so slightly more plausible. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure of what I believe. And that is that aliens probably didn't come visit an ancient civilization and make Stonehenge. I think I'm sure of that. I, I mean, I'm sure I think that. Whichever sequence you want to put those two words in. However, if somebody was passionately, tearfully, experientially persuaded that aliens did visit their ancestors (laughs) and create Stonehenge, I'd at least have the conversation out of regard for them. There you go. There you go. And so when somebody is so sure of something that somebody else feels and that that feeling is fallacious, that they won't even have the conversation. To me, it plays like, like remember in Hamlet, um, the, the, was it Queen Gertrude? The lady doth protest too much, methinks. It kind (laughs) of feels like that. Like, why are you so sure? What are you protesting? It's like you're trying to convince yourself. Right. Okay, so back. Unpause. That was, yeah. Rob rants are my favorite thing. So Ancient aliens. It was so, your fault. So, so, yeah. So the dude with the crazy hair is there, and he's, you know, giving you all the theories on everything. But they go back, and they look at these ancient sketches on walls, and they're looking at the shapes of the heads. And I think that, like... When we have this conversation, for some people, that's how they feel about like everything we're talking about, wow. like discrimination, um, slavery, Jim Crow, like anything that's involved with like race, racial tension and injustice is sort of like for them, it's going into the cave and, and examining the ancient Egyptian culture. Like, wow, look at what happened 5,000 years ago. Um, no one says that. But that's the way that it sort of comes across is that maybe you think this happened a long time ago. And that's sort of what I kind of wanted to talk about for a minute is just how recent all of this is and how maybe maybe leaning in and accepting how recent it is may it may not change what you think, but it may change how willing you are to engage and get into this 
conversation discussion let alone change our actions or beliefs like that's way down the road potentially but but if we can just realize how recent some of this stuff is and that it's not ancient aliens but it's stuff that is super fresh um, how that could change the tone and the tenor of the conversation so so where do we go from here let's unpack that the the idea of unancient history is is one worth discussing because how to say this as a white person i think emotionally speaking it might be conveniently ancient do you know what i'm saying it might be convenient for my emotional comfort to package the past uh, insofar as it has to do with racial injustice in america as way past yeah you know like slavery when was the emancipation proclamation we're talking about the civil war i was two centuries ago man right or something like that um and to to under nuance over reduce and and push it back i think it's emotionally advantageous i think it's convenient uh frankly for those of us in the majority to distance yourself from but let's put this in perspective some things that maybe are and are not ancient history yeah so one of the things that came up in uh, sort of a, a refresh in, in our consciousness, uh, you know, in the last couple of few weeks has been just the whole conversation about lynching in America and how that's just a, a horrific um, uh, dark spot in our history as a country. And <laughs> the thing with that, it, it, for, for maybe those of you that, that don't know, is that there were thousands of people that were lynched in this country. Um, I think you know what lynching is, but one thing you may, maybe you don't know about it is it wasn't like an individual act, right? It wasn't one person taking another black person and hanging them, right, from a tree. It was a communal thing, like, like a whole community, a bunch of people doing it. And not only was it about uh, uh, torture and murder of an individual but while the person would be there hanging from the tree they would like party and have a picnic and and dance and all these things these were things that happened in the 50s and probably beyond that you know if we're being honest so when you think about the scene right of uh, of of a lynching that took place in public and the parents and the families and the friends that were out there dancing around and the kids that were, you know, running around, not really knowing what was going on. Like those kids that were there at those horrible things that took place are still alive. Like <laughs> we're not that far removed from, from things like that. And what we've been reminded of recently is just that that mentality, that symbol of a noose is still a powerful symbol because it's recent. Like this stuff, ju- the way I started to frame it was, it's almost like when the movie goes off and then the credits are rolling, that's sort of where we are in the conversation of, of racism and race relations in America. Like the, the credits are still rolling. The movie just went off. This stuff just got done happening and in some places it's still happening. So the, uh, that, that's one that we would just probably prefer to be a little bit more distant from of the idea that big mobs of people would hang people from trees. But the people that did that are still alive. Let me put this in perspective for an, uh, uh, from another angle. Um, well, I, first, yeah. the people that did that are still alive. And some people 
are still doing that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. It, it is it isn't um it's not extinct. It's not extinct. I think of um the the ominous line from William Faulkner. The past is never dead. It isn't even past. Wow. It's it's living. Let me put it in perspective from another angle. Uh, perhaps the face of organized American racism, George Wallace, the governor of Alabama um, for decades, and the, the, the voice and face of what was modern segregation. In, when was it? I want to make sure I get this right. His 1963 inaugural address as the governor of Alabama, the highlight of his speech was that he, quote, stood for segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That was his bright, shining idea for the hope of the future of his great they, they state. They put that on posters and on like... For which he was elected to lead. Right. His, his vision for the future... Where he saw taking the great state of Alabama in 1963 was segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. He, with Bull Connor by his side, are most um, memorably seen uh, presiding over the attack dogs, the... Um, the fire hoses mm -hmm. and the, the brutal police crackdowns on the peaceful marches and protests of Martin Luther King's initiative. The Freedom Riders, remember them? Yeah. Their imprisonment, the killing of many um, without any justice uh, and the, in, in, in broad daylight and the public condoning of that, right? That's what they're known for. The history has, has ruled on that. No question there. Now, here's what I want you to want to point out. George Wallace died in 1998. Like, you know what I was doing in 1998? <laughs> what were you doing? Going to college. Okay, yeah. Like, this is in my lifetime. Wow. He was the, the governor, active governor, well into the 70s, into my lifetime. <sighs> it wasn't that long ago. And if, that, if there's just a phrase I could leave you with, um, if you don't take anything else from this conversation, it would be that. It wasn't that long ago. Um, here's another one that you asked, you know, just where do we see this show up? I mean, one of the other things that people began talking about uh, again recently has been the uh, Tulsa uh, massacre in Greenwood that happened back in uh, the early 1900s. And when you just, if you haven't read about that or don't know what that is, just do some basic internet work and you can just read about what happened. Horrible, just the complete devastation of an entire community um, in Tulsa um, with racism at its roots. And my, my family, my dad is from Tulsa. His parents live there today. Um, and they, they grew up 10 minutes from the Greenwood community, right? So it's one thing to read about something uh, that's horrific and sort of distance yourself from it and saying, well, man, that was like 100 years ago. But it's like, no, that's, that's like my, my grandfather, who I, who I could call on the phone right now, is going to remember. His, his parents walked through that. They had, to, they had to, that wasn't an idea. It was something that they lived through. And when you just realize how recent that is, 
I think that's powerful. Here's another um, just analogy that may that may help, or, or, or a couple. Imagine if you have a you know a house or an apartment wherever you live, and you decide to do some 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 uh, some redecorating on the inside, and as a part of that, you repaint every surface in the house, ceilings, walls, cabinets. You paint everything, and you get it all done in one day. And for anyone that's ever painted anything you sort of know how that smell stays for a while. Like you can smell fresh paint. And it would be kind of foolish to think, I can repaint all of this stuff and it, and it, to think that it wouldn't still smell a couple hours later or, or the next day, it's just unrealistic. You can't, you can't make, you can't have that much take place and not still smell the residue. Um, or I had this bush in my backyard like it was more of a weed than a bush, but it, it, it was massive. And I tried my best to dig it out, right? But I dug it out, but it still sort of like pops back up every spring. You see the stuff there. So the point is like stuff can't exist for that long. And you think that I can just yank it up with one piece of legislation or, or, or one uh, uh, signing of a document and to think that I can get rid of things that have been, have been in the soil for hundreds of years um, and think that that stuff's not going to still be present and still not try to pop its head back up. Um, so I just want you, if, if that's been something that's kept you out of this conversation, I just humbly would want to submit to you that this is not ancient history we're talking about. Many people that were on the, on the offending end of a lot of these injustices, they, they themselves and their children are still alive. Right. Running businesses and companies, right. walking around the gap right. or wherever they are, you know what I'm saying? And the people that are on the re- that were on the receiving end of, of a lot of these things that we would so conveniently like to push back into ancient history are people like my grandparents, right. who are I talked to her yesterday, and, and she's and so everyone right. is still here. It's so recent. And when I was uh, a young adult starting my professional career in the early 2000s, I remember um, the notable event of Strom Thurmond's death at the age of 100. Mm-hmm. He's distinguished, among other things, for being the longest serving U.S. senator in history, 50 years, wow. right? And um, he's also distinguished for being one of the most outspoken um opponents of civil rights legislation and desegregation. He is uh, notoriously, he holds the record for the longest filibuster in the history of the Senate, which was to oppose by holding up in procedure the passage of one of the preliminary civil rights bills. Um, Just a a dyed-in-the-wool racist, right? And he died in office, I believe, or, you know, maybe he stepped on shortly after that, but he served well uh, into to his 90s. And what, what I remember discovering in, in the early 2000s is that this man was continually reelected. This guy who in the 60s mm. was filibustering and staying up night after night without sleep to make sure that civil rights legislation never got to the floor for a vote. He kept getting reelected into the 21st century. Who's voting for him? Ancient history wasn't voting for him. 
present living citizens right. were voting for him. And so what that says is that the past is never past, certainly not the non-ancient past. You mentioned the um, also something that I think just deserves an underscore, and that is the, the, the fact that history isn't discreet. It doesn't happen in in blocks that have a, 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 a squared beginning and end, right. and then we move into the next era. History bleeds into the next era. History is not discrete. It's, it's rolling, right? Yes. It's generational. Um, I, in 2006, traveled to Romania to minister to orphans. It was one of the most formative times or experiences in my pastoral and, and really in my Christian life um, because I saw such... Uh, brokenness, such abject need, not only in the poverty of these Romanian orphans, but in um, their horrific, lifelong, physical disabilities that Mm. were a result of one experience. Mm. Do you know what that is? The Chernobyl accident. So in the 80s, when I was a kid in school, there was a nuclear meltdown in the former Soviet Union in Chernobyl, and the the nuclear plume spread out to much of the eastern then Soviet Union. You know what was in the Soviet Union at that time? Romania. And so close to Chernobyl as it was, a whole generation of Romanians were immediately and um, incontrovertibly affected for the worse, right? But here, two generations later, there are orphans who are kids, just George just beginning their lives, mm-hmm. not at the tail end of history, like you know my grandmother, uh, but just beginning their lives with horrible mutations and disfigurements because of Chernobyl. Wow. History is generational. Yeah, that's such a great example of, of, of I think how it plays out, and and this would be just you know uh, sort of a hypothetical question I would just ask you or. It, if, if you're maybe one of those people that just has a hard time leaning in, if that's you, you might not even be listening to this, but maybe you know somebody for whom that's the case. Is it's like, if, if yeah, take Chernobyl for something like that. Something that massive that can happen has to bleed into the, the future. You can't just undo all of that radioactive waste. Sure. I, I'm not a scientist, so I'm probably botching this, whatever this is. But that that stuff has, it takes time to move through that. Right. So if this stuff is so recent, if, if, the, if the credits are still rolling, if this is stuff that, that a lot of the people that were perpetrating it may, might maybe just died or are still alive, like these ideologies are still present, is it possible that the cries of a whole lot of people are valid. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know what I'm it's saying? That's impossible the- for it not to be, particularly when you consider Chernobyl, of course, is a metaphor, like the paint in your house, a great metaphor that was. Um, Chernobyl, Chernobyl was a discrete event. It was a horrible event, but it had a beginning and it had an end. And then it had a, a, um, a compound generational effect afterward. But racism as a system right. undercurrent in American society wasn't a discrete event. It's generations old. Right. So it's woven into the fabric of, of whole generations of Americans' existence. It's, it's, it's just illogical to expect, even to imagine that 
it would have a discrete end. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, yeah, exactly. I guess what I'm saying though is for a lot of people that want to push it into ancient history, what, what that does by distancing yourself mm -hmm. from it is it can sort of invalidate the experience and the cries of people today because you can say, bro, that was so long. Right. So, so it's if we can accept that it was a little bit more, not a little bit more, a lot more recent than we may want to admit, it may cause us to open up our eyes a little bit and look around at our systems, at our society, the way that we've ordered ourselves, the way that we've set things up, and we may be able to spot more residue of that than we than we'd be comfortable admitting. And I think that that's just the you can't have hundreds of years of legalized oppression of a race and get just a few decades away from it and think that there's not going to be any stains of that on stuff that's happening today. Um, so I think for me, even like even realizing how recent some of this stuff is with my grandparents in Tulsa and just like, yo, this, they're still alive. It, it makes you look around a little bit more and say, oh man, I think I still... I think I still see some of that. I think I still hear, call it the death rattle if you want, of some of those ideologies that are still floating around. And you sort of can't accept the present uh, reality and presence of those things without realizing how close we are to the explosion, to the event, to the to these things that have ha that have just just got done happening and are still happening today. Um, so I would, I would just challenge you listening to this to just sit with that man for a while, uh, do some reading, do some research and just realize maybe that this is not ancient history we're talking about. This, this stuff is raw. It's recent. Uh, the smoke is still billowing from the buildings, right? Like it's still, this is really, really close to us. It's not ancient history. And hopefully that can help reframe, um, our entrance into this conversation and how we see things moving forward um, a little bit. So, George, thank you for that. I'd like to I'd like to add that um, if friends you're on the outside of this conversation and and you've been unwilling to enter, or somebody in your family or one of your friends is um, to enter the conversation. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Sure. It's easier for me to say this as a white man. Um, but it seems to me that to enter the conversation doesn't require a wholesale change of mind. It doesn't require um, renouncing what one believes or even feels pretty sure of. It's just saying, you know what? Maybe. I'll listen. And I think it's that idea that a house of cards is going to fall or my, my membership card to some club is going to be revoked if I even listen. Mm -hmm. And I think I was talking about this with our friend Will the other day and um, we use the analogy of sort of a train, right? So um, the train is on the tracks. It's going in a certain direction. But there's a bunch of different cars on the track, on the train, right? And... I think that's sort of how I view our involvement into this conversation, that, that getting on the train doesn't mean I'm going to be in the same car as you, that I'm going to necessarily think the exact same thing as you, that I'm going to be at the same phase in the conversation as you, because it's just, it's ridiculous of me to think that if you've been thinking about this for five minutes, that you're going to be at the same spot that someone who's been thinking about this for five years. Um, or, or, or five decades, right? So it's just a commitment to saying, I'm willing to go that direction. 
I may have to be in this car for a while because I'm just, I'm new, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. But we have to have grace for one another to say, hey, we're not all gonna be in the same exact car, but are we committed to going in a certain general direction mm-hmm. uh, towards having this conversation, towards listening, towards learning, and from there a whole lot of, the, what can take place from that, from that posture of being humble, listening, being committed to going in a direction, what God can do through that is, is infinite, man. We can, he can do so much through our willingness to just be humble and teachable and, and go in a certain direction. So um, I agree with you. And how empowering for the other, whomever it is that we would be choosing to listen to, because it takes the pressure off of that person to have to be the mind changer. Right. You know, the big persuader. Um, if I if if I can simply say, you know what, I'm I'm going to take that one step, and I like you, look to Jesus as my boss. Mm-hmm. He's the director of my thoughts, right? Not me or you. Then we can simply have a conversation. Um, my willingness to take a step makes the other person uh, able to simply talk and not feel the pressure to have to like break down my wall of resistance. (laughs) Methinks the lady doth protest too much. What if we just don't protest too much? Wow. Wow. I love it. That's where we're trying to go. So um, this has been the unancient history episode. (laughs) I love Um, that. So hopefully that was helpful um, as a way of, again, not really trying to tell you what to think, but maybe how to go about thinking about these things. And, uh, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will lead you to what's next for you. So hopefully this has been helpful. We love having these conversations um, with you guys every week. Uh, Rob, would you pray for us before we go? Absolutely. Or anything else you want to say? Did I cut you off? No. Awesome. You want to pray for us? Yes. Father in heaven, thank you for being um, the, the God of infinite hope. That we can't look at you and not see a brighter future because you are concerned with every detail of human existence and you're at work in the hearts of your children. So we look at you and we see a future with hope. We see a future with justice. We see a future with mutual love deepening. And Lord God, how we long for that. Our hearts long for heaven. And we look to you and find hope anew. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. We pray for your peace uh, to strengthen our sisters and brothers. Those who are listening right now, we pray you would fill them with your peace and make them peacemakers. Lord God, we've seen enough of false certainty, artificial division. We want the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace that is the hallmark of the people of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven looks like and that's what we want. So we ask that for our friends. We thank you for them and bless them as they have these courageous conversations. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time. Love you all.